Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. When I began this series entitled Aligning with the Will of God, it was only a one message, one, this one message, period. Never jump would be on lesson number five. We're on number five here this morning because, uh, you know, just God's put it on my heart to do it this way. So uh, just to update those of you that may not have been with us, just number one, a quick review. It's the will of God for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We're told that in 1 Timothy 2. Secondly, it is the will of God that we all be filled with the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> with the evidence of speaking with other tongues is all that it includes. And number three, that we maintain a spirit-filled life. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this is the will of God in our lives, that we be filled with the Holy Ghost and maintain a spirit-filled life. And then number four, he wants us baptized in water. And once again, we have a sign-up sheet out there. If you haven't been baptized in water, you should get baptized in water. And if you might say, when I was a baby, I was baptized, that doesn't count because babies can't believe. you got to believe for yourself. you got to confess Christ as your Savior and Lord intelligently, and babies can't do that. Once you give your heart to Christ, then you can get baptized in water. Uh, babies are dedicated. Number five, it is the will of God, our sanctification. First Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us, this is the will of God in Christ concerning you, even your sanctification. That means setting ourselves apart for God, for holy purposes and holy use. And then, number six, we talked about last week, it is the will of God that we financially support the kingdom of God, the work of God in the earth. And we talked a little bit about that. Before we go any further, though, and this is not in your notes, I just want to bring up something that the Lord just kind of laid on my heart this morning in 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, and beginning at verse 5, it's going to go through verse 11. This is from the J.B. Phillips translation of the Bible, and basically it kind of adds a little bit to the part of sanctification, being separated to serve God with holy, godly lives. Notice, and one, well, that's again, before I even read this, we talked about legalism, we talked about libertarianism, we talked about those two different things, and we're not on either side, we're walking down the straight and narrow. Can you agree to that? Amen. Okay, so let's remember that. You don't need works to get saved, but when you're saved, you're saved for good works. You get saved, and that doesn't mean everything is okay. You don't have to do anything, put forth any effort whatsoever at all, because we're not told that. We do have to put forth effort, which you're going to see here. So let's read these verses. They're self-explanatory. After he says that you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, and we escape the corruption in the world through lust, he goes into verse 5 and says, For this reason, because we've escaped all that, you must do your utmost from your side. Notice God has a side, and we have a side. And see that your faith carries with it real goodness of life. Your goodness must be accompanied by knowledge. Your knowledge by self-control. Your self-control by the ability to endure. Your endurance too must always be accompanied by devotion to God. That in turn must have in it the quality of brotherliness 
and your brotherliness must lead on to Christian love. If you have these qualities existing and growing in you, then it means that knowing our Lord Jesus Christ has not made your lives either complacent or unproductive. The man whose life fails to exhibit these qualities is short-sighted. He can no longer see the reason why he was cleansed from his former sins. Set your minds then on endorsing by your conduct the fact that God has called and chosen you. If you go along the lines I have indicated above, there's no reason why you should stumble or fall away, in the New Living says, and if you have lived the sort of life I have recommended, God will open wide to you the gates of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that sound like to you? You've been saved by grace through faith, and you're glad that you are. But that doesn't mean we don't put forth any effort to live godly, holy lives. It doesn't mean that we adhere to this excessive, extreme grace teaching that says your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. But you realize they've been provided for past, present, and future. And you're not to live ungodly, unholy lives. And we're not to live in sin and let sin control our lives. I mean, can you say amen to that? Absolutely. So we put forth every effort. Now that sounds like works. But remember, we were saved for good works, not by good works. And so every one of us who loves Christ, who thanks Him for His shed blood, should do what? Have a desire to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Amen? Amen. Now as we continue our study, number seven. It's the will of God that we follow Christ every other month. Every other week. Every other Sunday. Sometimes on Wednesday. When? Luke 9, 23. Daily. Let's read it. And he said to them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. How often? Daily. Daily and follow me. Look at Matthew's statement. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him, number one, deny himself. Number two, take up his cross. Number three, follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his angel, of the Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So our rewards are based on our works. Notice the three things I want to highlight. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. It is the will of God that we deny ourselves daily, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus every day that we're alive on this planet. So in other words, we came to Christ, not so that we could just go to church once a week on a Sunday, but we came to Christ because he gave us a new life. A new direction for our lives. And that we want to live to honor and obey Him on a daily basis. To serve Him in thought, word, and deed. So number one, deny ourselves. Well, deny ourselves of what? Living independent of God. That's the first thing He says that we're to do. If I want to follow, if I want to come after Him, I've got to number one, deny myself of living independent of God. God made us free moral agents. We understand that. 
But with that free moral agency, we have the right to choose as to who we will follow or how we will live. You go back to the very beginning and we discover that Lucifer had established for him boundaries that God established that he should not cross over. Because if you step beyond the boundaries that God has for your life now, what you've done is this. You're not denying yourself. You're exalting yourself to a place where you become your own personal God. That's exactly what Lucifer did. He stepped beyond those boundaries that God established for his existence and made a decision that he's not going to deny himself. He's going to live for himself. Maybe he thought he knew more than God. Now, angels followed him. Some say a third of the angels. Some say we can't really say it's a third of the angels. But we know that it's a lot of the angels made a decision to do what? The same thing. Follow him by not denying themselves the right to live independent of God. But living independent of God. Doing it their way. Doing it Lucifer's way. Adam was placed in a garden. He was given certain boundaries that he had to live by. He made a decision along with his wife Eve to step beyond those boundaries and say what? I know better. I know more. I, I don't want to deny myself. Why should I deny myself? God gave them everything that they needed. And then some. One thing he reserved to himself and he said that you don't touch. So when they stepped beyond the boundaries and touched what God said don't touch, don't go down that path. They didn't deny themselves. What did they do? They exalted themselves. They lifted themselves up to a place where they believed that they knew better than God. Or they wanted something more than what God had for them. It boggles my mind every time I think about it because, dear Lord, what more could they have asked for? Adam had the perfect wife. Eve had the perfect husband. They lived in the perfect environment. They had the perfect profession. And the list goes on and on. Everything they had was perfection. But they made a decision not to deny themselves, but to exalt themselves to a place and a position beyond what God had for them. And as a result, they suffered the consequences, didn't they? Okay. So that's number one, deny yourself. When you came to Christ, you and I, what we said to him was, I deny myself the right to live independent of you. As far as my existence on this earth is concerned, I deny myself the right to live independent of you. Now look at the step number two. Take up our cross. He says take up his cross. What does that look like and what does that mean? It means to submit my will to the will of God. On a daily basis, I'm to submit my will to the will of God. You see, the battle is in the soul. Look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. Jesus is our example, and he reveals to us what this looks like. Then saith he unto them, my soul, notice his soul is comprised of the mind, will, emotions, and intellect. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, what this involves, taking up our cross, is found in this battle for the soul. It's a soulish thing. It's my mind, my will, my intellect, my emotions. It's what I decide to do with my thinking and my will. 
it involves crucifying our thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the beings of Christ. You can tell, for example, in a family, your child what is right and what is wrong, and they have to make a decision as to what they're going to do about that. God has made a decision to govern our lives because he knows better than we do. And he's made a decision to reveal to us what his will is for our lives. And it's up to us to make a decision that we are going to do what? Line up with what his will is for our lives. And how many of you know on a daily basis we make decisions every single day as to whether or not we're going to submit our will to God or we're just going to do what we will. Look in Isaiah chapter 14. This is 12 to 14. And this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And this is exactly what Lucifer did not do. This is what he did, not to deny himself, but to exalt himself to a position where he knew more than God. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of the nations, you've been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest part of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Did you get all that? Was he submitting his will to the will of God? Or was he defining his own will? Was he exalting himself to a position where he would call himself God over his own life? That's exactly what he was doing. And there it is. I will. I will. Five times he said, I will. I will. I will. Beloved, look at 2 Corinthians 10 before I even comment on that. Verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God that are pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. This is what it looks like. On a daily basis, we are to cast down thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and take it captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we could say it this way. The mind stands guard at the door of our heart. And it's up to us as to what enters in. We can either deny access to sinful thoughts or we can offer access to sinful thoughts. Lucifer, who said to himself, I will, I will, I will, could have said to himself, no, you won't. You will not violate the will of God. You will not exalt yourself above God. But he didn't. He made a decision that he was going to exercise his will above the will of God because he refused to cast down any thought or imagination that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Now, this is what taking up our cross daily looks like. Every single day, it's up to us to make a decision as to what we're going to allow in or what we're going to not allow in, give no access to at all. It's up to us. Now, just take our government right now. When the government made a decision that they were going to, let's say, make legal 
marriages that contradict the will of God? They can do that. But what they're saying is we're not going to submit to the will of God. We're not going to deny ourselves. We're going to exalt our thoughts, our ways, our purposes, our will above the will of God. We're going to leave what God has spoken and said, and we're going to see that we establish what we think is the right way to live and the right thing to do. When the government says it's okay at one point with Roe v. Wade to take babies, you realize where the extent it's gone to right now? Now they can be born. And if you decide that you don't want them to live, you can take their life in some places. How far has it come? How far will it go? As believers, we have a decision to make as to what we are going to choose to do with regard to these things because we have access to a democracy where we can make a decision and raise our voices on high and say, you know what? Babies are more important than even animals. But yet here we are supporting. I tell you, it breaks your heart when you see some of these commercials on these puppies and these dogs and, and, and cats that are being abused and all. Does it break your heart? It's beyond me that I can think your heart is broken over a puppy, but not of a child. It's nothing to do with party preference or anything like that. It has everything to do with what is morally right and what is morally wrong and what God hates and what God likes. That's what it's all about. We can make our decision, yes. But if our decision doesn't line up with the will of God, guess what? We haven't denied ourselves anything. We exalted our will above the will of God. We're doing it our way, not God's way. So deny yourself the right to live independent of God. Take up your cross. Daily submit your will to the will of God. And exalt His will above what your will might be. Who's our example? Jesus. What did he say? How do, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Father, your will. What does that speak to you? What does that say to you? That if it was his will, he wouldn't have, would not have wanted to go through all that. Because we know the depth of what he went through. But he said, you know what, Father? Not my will. I willingly submit my will to your will. And I know what I'm going to go through for making this decision. But you know what? I'm going to do it. Your will be done not mine. So we live in a society right now that really wants to make up its own rules and laws. But you know what? God's rules and laws have never changed and they will never change. We have to make a decision in our society today because you know one day, one day, not too maybe far down the road, you're going to have to make a decision if you stay behind as to whether or not you're going to take a mark of the beast. Because one day that government is going to say to you, if you don't take the mark, then you can't buy, sell. You can't buy gas. You can't eat. You can't buy food. Go to a grocery store. You can't do anything like that. So you know what? Take the mark. Get the chip. The RFID, the radio frequency identification. Put it inside your palm of your hand or, or your forehead or wherever so that you can be identified. It's a cashless society. See, we don't want cash anymore. We're just going to have these. You're easier scanned this. You know, then we know who you are, where you've been, what you're doing, and we can control your life even more. So deny ourselves the right to live independent of God. Take up your cross and daily deny your will and let his will be done. Let him govern our lives 
individually, in our marriage, in our family, in our church, in our society. And then finally, follow me. Look at this one, follow me. What does follow me mean? It's really talking about transformation. It's talking about changing direction. See, there's nothing about coming to Christ that says you come to Christ, you sit down, you become complacent, stagnant, you're saved, and you're glad that you are, and whatever happens doesn't really matter because I'm already forgiven, past, present, and future. That's it. doesn't really matter. That's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches every single day we have a decision to make. Am I going to honor Him in my thoughts, my words, and my deeds? Am I going to honor Him with my service today? Am I going to provide what is necessary for his kingdom to operate? Am I going to walk in the realm of love and love as he loved me? Am I going to be a person that offers brotherly kindness to my brothers and sisters in the Lord? See, we have a decision to make. Follow me means I allow him to make me what he wants me to be. See, when you get saved, you are a new creation. You're no longer who you were. You're a new creation. You belong to him. And now he has a right as your governing father to do what? Make you what he wants you to be. Well, what do you want me to be, Lord? Well, well, let's figure this out. But first of all, look at Matthew 4, verse 19. This is Jesus speaking. And he says to his uh, disciples there, follow me. Now, notice the next few words. And I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Not your parents, not your grandparents, not your boss. Follow me and I will make you. What are you going to make me? fishers of men but we've been fishermen all our lives no you've been fishing for fish all your lives but I'm going to take your life and turn you around you're going to follow me you're going to follow a new direction for your lives you're no longer going to be fishers of men you are going to be I mean fishers of fish you're going to be fishers of men okay you're going to start fishing for men for souls is what he tells them so follow me example look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 the apostle Paul by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but, but the grace of God which was with me. What's Paul saying? Jesus got a hold of me and made me what he wants me to be. You see, Saul, the destroyer, became Paul, the builder, because he met Jesus. And the direction that he was going in was a bad direction, was a wrong direction for his life. Even though he thought it was right and the best thing for him. But Jesus met him on the Damascus Road and turned him around and said, mm -mm, no longer are you going in that direction. You're going to follow me in this direction and I'm going to make you what I want you to be. I know you were a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Jew of the Jews. And I know that you, above the law, you, as far as the law is concerned, you, you, you said you were blameless. But you know what? Forget all that. It's all garbage. Leave that all behind you because you see none of that means anything more than this. I'm going to make you, Paul, Saul, what I want you to be, Paul, a builder of the church. I've got that in store for you. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We see that confirmed. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Those are some pretty good credentials, wouldn't you say? Who made him an apostle? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ did. When did that change occur or take place? When he gave his heart to Jesus. You see, when you're first saved, when you're born again, you've got a seed on the inside of you. I've got a seed inside of me that really wants to mature and develop, to come to full fruition. 
But too often, we don't know that. We don't recognize that. We don't learn that. When you first came to Christ, God put a gift in you. And there may be more than one gift in all of us. And it came at salvation. We gave him our hearts. We gave him our lives. And he made a deposit within us. And what does that represent? What he wants us to be. That's exactly what it represents. So in other words, it can reach its full potential if we act upon it, and it won't if we don't. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and see the connection between the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer and the fulfillment of us being made what God wants us to be. Look at this verse. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be. Notice the wording. Back in Matthew 4, 19, he said, follow me and I will make you. Here, he says, don't go any further until you get filled with the Holy Ghost, because when you get filled with the Holy Ghost and power, then you will be. Notice the connection between the two. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do what? Make us what he wants us to be. There's divine empowerment. There's divine enablement. It's called the grace of God in each and every one of us by the gifts of the Spirit, whatever they may be in us. He empowers us to be what God wants us to be. Now, I can just relate to my own life. I was a mill crane operator in the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company from 1974 to 1978. I gave my heart to Jesus in October of 1976. And after giving my heart to Jesus, I was on fire for God. In the winter of uh, that same year, 1976, I got filled with the Holy Ghost at Pleasant Valley Evangel Evangel Evangelical Church in Niles, Ohio. And when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, my tongue was on fire. And there was a deposit I know made by God himself in my life to teach God's word. I didn't recognize it then. I didn't know about it then at all. I had no clue whatsoever because you know what? I've already told you my testimony. I don't stand in front of people and talk. I dropped out of college for that very reason. Bill Anzavino, you're first up. I'm done. Never went back to the class. Done. I don't talk in front of people. I'm done. I get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost and power. I want you to go out. Now, I'm following a new direction for my life because, you see, that wasn't my direction. I'm still working in the mill, and all of a sudden, I get this impression to my spirit. You want me to go to that school down there in Oklahoma? Yeah, well, okay, well, you, I'll, yeah, you, I got to sell my house and do that. You, you can't sell a house, you know. I, I know that, so I'm out. I don't have to do it. Sells the house in one day. I get another house. I sell the house in one day again. You really want me to go down there? Yeah, I really want you to go down there. Okay, I'm going to go down there. Long story, you know it. I was following another direction for my life. If I wasn't, I could have said no and stayed in the mill crane. 1978 is when I left, and it was booming we made seamless pipe for the oil industry, and it was booming. I was working six and seven days a week, doubles and everything else. Okay, and back then, that was good money. It was making more money than some people that graduated from college was making. And the Lord said, go. And when my boss said to me, just take a sabbatical, come back after you go to school. I said, I will never. It just came out of my being. Uh, I appreciate that, my supervisor. And I said, his name was Bob. But I said, I will never walk through the doors of this mill ever again. I boldly said that. He said, okay. Well, we, I tried. And I haven't. Did I want to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma? No. Did I want to leave my family behind in Youngstown, Ohio? No. 
Did I want to do any of that? No. Did I want to leave with a pregnant wife and give up all my hospitalization? No. 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 Oklahoma? That's nothing but rattlesnakes and tornadoes. Who wants to go live there? So what do I do? Not my will be done. Your will be done. So follow me. See, too often people want the end result right here, now. No, the, the step to follow him was just go to Oklahoma. And was there effort involved? Oh, absolutely. Were there challenges involved? Absolutely. Did it seem like you weren't going to survive? Absolutely. Were you overwhelmed by what you were doing? Absolutely. But you know what? With all those absolutely's, it's nice to know that you're in the will of God. Living in the will of God is the most peaceful thing you could possibly experience in your life. I'm still in the will of God for my life, even though I know all this is going on. Now I want you to go back home. I thought, are you schizophrenic? You sent me a thousand miles away to pack up all my stuff, leave, move all the way down to Tulsa, Oklahoma for, for one year, and now you want me to leave and go back where I came from? Was that hard? Oh. Did you have the money to do that? No. But, okay. So I come back to Youngstown How? and what do I do? I get a job as a painter. I didn't preach in a church. I painted a church. Literally. The inside of a church rectory, I painted. That's what I was doing. But you know what? Because he said go back there. I did that because I knew I was in the will of God for my life. Wait a minute. You just left up this good, you just left this good paying job to go down there and make minimum wage to come back over here to get a job making a few dollars an hour painting? Yeah, exactly. And I'm in the will of God. Well, then the pastor says, would you come and help us with the youth? Sure, be glad to do that. Okay. Would you consider going down to Midland, Pennsylvania, where they need a pastor down there and candidating? Well, first of all, would you hold a service for them? I said, yes. Would you consider candidating to be their pastor? I said, no. Nope, 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 nope. Won't do that. Too young. Just got saved a couple years ago. Mm -mm. Refused to do anything like that. He laughed. I laughed. I said, God would have to speak to me in an audible voice for me to do something like that. Someone once said to me, I wish God would speak to me in an audible voice. No, you don't, because it means you're, not, you're so hard-headed you can't hear him when he speaks to you softly inside you. <laughs> You'll get that in a moment. <laughs> so what do I do? I'm not going to do that. God has to speak to me in an audible voice. So I get in my car, start driving down Route 11, and all of a sudden I hear this booming loud voice that says, you will be the next pastor of that church. What? Did you hear that? See, follow me and I will make you what I want you to be. But we have to be willing to take each step along the way. Uh, someone wants the end result before the beginning. No, it doesn't work that way. You take one step at a time. One step at a time. Leave and go to Tulsa. Okay, go to school. Okay, go on back. Okay, get a job. It's the will of God you work. If you, you have to work if you want to eat. Okay, you're willing to, to work with a, a few youth. A few, one, <laughs> one in this church, at least on that day, one. I said, yeah, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, Lord. Now, I want you to go and pastor that church. See, he said, 
you will be the next pastor of that church. Guess what? I didn't make myself the pastor of this church. God did. Paul didn't make himself an apostle. God did. Can you see that? Now that brings me to my next point. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The next point is number 8. Take our place where God places us in the body of Christ. Let's read them first of all from the New Living Translation. The human body has many parts. But many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by the Spirit. And we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, does that not make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where the government wants. A politician wants. Your neighbor wants. Your parents want. You want. Who wants? He wants it. Where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, etc. Okay, so let's just take this in just for a moment and... Uh, Give me a little bit of latitude here. Anybody like putting jigsaw puzzles together? I'm getting mixed emotions out here. How many of you like the 250 count ones, the pieces? Or the 100 pieces? You like the preschool ones? With the big, big ones? You, the majority are saying amen to all that. Okay. How many like the 1,000 ones? And the, the smallest ones? Some of you out here, you're adventurous. You like that. Okay. All right. Now, did you know that the body, the human body, has 206 bones? Some say 27. Depends on what site you go to. How many of you know that? And 79 organs. 78, some say. It depends on what, it depends on whether or not Siri is awake on that particular day. Because there's differences of opinions. But let's just say... 206 bones, 79 organs. Uh, how many cells are in the cellular structure of a human body? Anybody know the answer to that? Anyone? 30 to 37 trillion. 30 to 37 trillion cells in the cellular structure of the human body. Uh, the retina of the eye has a, at least 120 million uh, rods and 6 million cones. The retina of the eye. And I know you've been waiting for this one. The human head has anywhere from 100 to 150,000 strands of hair. 
So let's, we'll meet in the back building in our fellowship hall and let's lay this all out on a table. Put it together and comprise a human body. Who would want to be the one to do that? Put it all together. 30 to 37 trillion cells, put them where they need to be. 206 bones, put them where they need to be. 79 organs, just put them in the right place. Can you do that? Can you do that? Can anyone do that? Who can only do that? God. Only God can. And we're just talking about small things here. Because there's so much more that, that human bodies made up of. When the Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made by God, we really are. Why am I emphasizing all this? Because what makes us think we can place ourselves in a body where we think we should be? Well, I'm going to be Pat. No, I wouldn't say I'm going to be anything. I would say, Lord, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to serve? You know me better than I know myself. What's my gifting? What is it that you've called me to do? You're the master builder. You're the master designer. I'm not. We're not talking about just natural talents and abilities now. We're talking about giftings of God to come to us by the hand of God himself. I didn't make myself a pastor. That's the last thing in, in my life I would have ever thought I would ever do for 43 years, ever, never. So every single one of us has this seed in us that says, this is something that I want you to be. And it can germinate. It could come to full fruition if we do what? Step by step. Take our place and do what God has told us to do or called us to do. Look in the, there's three things here. Look at um, Ephesians 4 verse 11. We don't determine our place or position or gifts. God does. Here, there are three. Um, the ministry gifts, there are manifestation gifts and motivational gifts. Here we have the ministry gifts. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. God does that. God gives those gifts. We don't. And then there are manifestation gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11 are the manifestation gifts. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings uh, by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and diverse kinds of tongues. So, so those gifts are there by the Spirit, but as He wills, He gives those gifts to people. Uh, the Spirit of God will enable us to be used in any of these gifts. And then thirdly, we have motivational gifts. And this is really where the rubber really meets the road here in all of our lives. This is so urgent and so necessary today for the last uh, revival that, that's going to take place here, that's taking place here upon this earth. Okay, let's put it that way. So let's look at that in, in um, Romans chapter 12. This is from the NIV version. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage or give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead or administrate, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cleave to what is good. 
Okay, so we have seven uh, gifts here that are called motivational gifts outlined for us here. And as everyone receives the gift, we're, we're a steward of that gift. So we have these seven motivational gifts. It's up to us to, to kind of find out exactly where I fit in. Lord, what is my motivational gift? What is it that you want me to do? Remember in well, Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13 says that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, God is birthing within us his will and his good pleasure that we're to fulfill. And it's not just to go to church on Sunday. It's to take our place in the body of Christ so that it can be a living organism of love and fulfill the Great Commission. And that's exactly what God has designed it to do. And he's the one that puts the parts together, the people together, the places together, the gifts together, so we can accomplish that purpose of his will. Look at 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. And this is uh, King James first, and then New Living Translation. As every man has received the gift. Notice it's a gift. It's something you receive. We receive it when we get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards. Stewards, we watch over the gift that God has given us of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now look at the New Living Translation of that. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what he's putting together here? Every single one of us has a gift, an impartation given to us when we got saved and then filled with the Holy Ghost, praise God. And this gift we are to use as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. And we're to use this while we're sitting at home, at home watching live streaming, having a cup of coffee. That wasn't written there? No, what, what do I mean by that? It's okay if you need to do that, that's okay. But don't lose sight of the fact that you are valuable to the body of Christ. That you have a position and that you have a place that is precious, that is valuable, that God wants you to use to honor Him in a given body of believers whereto you're called. And may I say something? You will not find a perfect body that you're called to. Look as much as you want. The moment you walk in, it's imperfect. The moment I walk in, it's imperfect. Because there are no perfect beings on this planet. The one that was perfect left. But he's in us. We carry him in us. Right? So we're to find the body where God wants us to be. And what are we supposed to do in that body? Take our place and do our part. Find where we belong, our niche. And do what? Serve God faithfully from the heart. And promote the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, let me just briefly run through these things and you'll just, I'll just read them out to you. Why is this important? Because knowing our spiritual gifts help us to do what? To know God's will for our lives. To discover our spiritual job description. This is what God wants me to do. To take our appropriate place in the body. To see ourselves as a conduit of God's grace. Notice the word conduit. You know why I put that word conduit there instead of channel? Because I got criticized for using the word channel one time. They thought I was a, someone like a witch, a witch that would channel things or whatever. 
Okay, so you're not a channel, you're, you're a conduit. I had to throw that in there. Avoid over, help you avoid overcommitment and burnout. People get burned out because they're doing everything they shouldn't be doing. Just do what God called you to do. Uh, they'll appreciate what others are anointed to do. You don't want to hear me sing. I'm not anointing to do that. And then maintain the true purpose of the body of Christ, which is what? It's found in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Peter rather, 3 and verse 9. Let's read it. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish. What's he not willing that any should perish? What's our sight to be set on? God does not want person to perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why he wants every body of believer to promote the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace so that we could be a living organism of love coming together, honoring God, putting God first, having his manifested presence among us so that when people that are unsaved walk through those doors, guess what? They run to the altar without an altar call. Because God is so real. God is so manifest because everyone is taking their place and doing their part, not wanting to intrude into somebody else's office of ministry. Praise God. They don't want to do that. Because when the fire falls and you're in someone else's office of ministry, you're dying. Remember how Aaron's sons died because they stepped into upper strange fire and et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So in other words, we need to find out where do you want me to be? And guess what? When there's a problem... You don't bail. What you do is you work it out. And the family's the same way. We'd have a lot less divorces if families would work it out. Come together, work it out. Submit yourself to the will of God. Be the husband God wants you to be. Be the wife God wants you to be. Be the father, the mother that God wants you to be. Uphold the things of God. Come together in unity and harmony. And promote God in your midst. You're not hearing a lot of preaching like this today. I would rather preach the 10 and the 2 and tell all about faith. But you know what? This is what makes faith active, operative, and alive. This is what makes faith work. When I say, not my will be done, but your will be done. And it's your will that I'm whole. And so therefore, I'm, I'm going to act upon your word that is your will for my life to be whole. And nothing's going to stop it. Not me stepping out of the realm that God wants me to be in, doing something else that God doesn't want me to do. Did you notice that Samson could kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a mule when he's anointed of God? But when he cut off his hair, he couldn't even blow up his nose, let alone whole army. When you're shorn, you're on your own. Did you get that? When you're anointed, God's at work, not you. Say amen if you believe that. We don't place ourselves in the body. He does. He puts each one strategically because he knows where all those 30 to 30, 37 trillion cells belong. Those 206 bones where they need to be. Give or take a few here, depending on how you talk about the hips, et cetera, et cetera. I looked some of that up. That's what you could be a little bit more. But anyhow, he knows. We don't. He knows. So let's all stand together.